Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 504 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing and publishing and how to succeed as an author or writer. I have another bonus episode for you today, and I also have something new for you. I know that for many aspiring writers, it can be very helpful to hear about published authors and how they got their big break, especially if they've recently released their debut novel, because they're only just a step ahead of you, right? I mean, sure, I know it's still interesting when a best-selling author like Michael Robotham, who has published a gazillion novels, talks about his big break, or if Kate Forsyth, who has also published a gazillion novels, talks about her big break. But to be honest, their debut novels were so long ago, and it's easy to think, and it's true, that the publishing industry has probably changed since then, or that the opportunities that were around then might be different these days. So what I'm going to do is I'm bringing you a new short and sharp segment that will appear from time to time, not every single episode, from a relatively new author who will talk about how they got their big break. And because their big break is so recent, at least you know that this is a path that's possible for you or one that you might even pursue because they're only just a step ahead of you. So this week you'll hear from my chosen author who will talk about her big break, uh, actually breaks because she will discuss how she got her break into getting her picture book published, her first picture book published, and then her break in getting her first middle grade book published. So they were two different uh, publishers and two different strategies, right? You'll hear from her after the interview I have for you with our featured author this week, Minnie Dark. And let me know what you think of the new segment, uh, My Big Break, in the podcast Facebook group. If you're not already a member, make sure you join. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. Love to connect with you in there. But first, this episode, I wanted to talk about the fact that rom-coms are having a moment in the publishing industry, and it seems that readers are just lapping them up. I suspect that it's not only right now, but they are here to stay, in fact, as one of the most popular genres around, and I kind of like it. I've always thought that rom-coms have been underrated and, you know, they've often been considered beach reads, but I'm just so glad to see them regularly on the bestseller lists these days. And also I'm noticing them front and centre in my local bookshops. So that's great as well. I was also reading an article that appeared recently in cultures.com called Have Romance Books Taken Over the Romantic Comedy Genre? And it was an interesting discussion into the rise and rise of rom-com books. The writer, Rebecca Mills, talked about how Julia Roberts is actually releasing a rom-com movie soon, you know, Ticket to Paradise, which is the film she filmed in Australia starring George Clooney. I mean, it's meant to be set in Bali, but they filmed it here in Australia because, you know, safer during the pandemic and all of that. Anyway, according to the article, Julia, who was, of course, the queen of rom-coms in her day, I mean, remember... Runaway Bride, Notting Hill, of course, and Pretty Woman. I mean, she talks about how rom-coms today aren't nearly as prevalent as they were in her heyday. And the article says, the romantic comedy genre has undergone a major makeover within the last 30 years. 30 years ago, people were flocking to theatres to try and catch a lovable actor and actress falling in love within the span of two hours or less. Now, things have shifted significantly when it comes to the world of romantic comedies. Okay, so the article says that Julia Roberts was quoted as saying that, you know, I think we didn't appreciate the bumper crop of romantic comedies that we had back then. So the point is that there are a lot fewer supposedly big rom-com movies these days than they were back then. And the writer basically goes on to say that the genre has really shifted from the screen to the page, as in the pages of your book. And I reckon there are various reasons for this. 
One, or they've already mentioned fewer rom-coms on the screen, but also, you know, people want happy stories after the years we've just had. And rom-coms also seem to be very popular on book talk. So basically, romance is where it's at. The writer also goes on to say that a lot of the romantic comedies that are being released, the movies that are being released, are actually book-to-movie adaptations. So in other words, they started off their life as books. So in just the 2020s alone, there's um, the To All the Boys I've Loved Before film series, The Hating Game, uh, Marry Me, and Something from Tiffany's, just to name a few. So the tide has clearly shifted from rom-com movies to rom-com books. So of course, I thought it fitting that this episode we interview a rom-com author who is our writer in residence this week. Minnie Dark is the author of the romantic comedies Starcrossed, The Lost Love Song, and now her latest novel with Love from Wish and Co. And Minnie Dark is actually the alter ego of Danielle Wood, who writes literary fiction. But as if leading a double life wasn't enough, Danielle, or Minnie, also co-writes with author Heather Rose as Angelica Banks. And Angelica has written three novels for children. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me aboard. Now, I could refer to you as Danielle Wood. I could refer to you as Angelica Banks. But today I'm going to refer to you as Minnie Dark. But in reality, your actual name is Danielle Wood, correct? That's right. That's the one I use for dentist appointments and, you know, driver's licenses. So we're going to delve into your pen name soon. But first of all, congratulations on Minnie Dark's latest book with Love from Wish and Co. For listeners who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, can you tell us what it's about? I sure can. So with Love from Wish and Co. is a book that that kind of came to me in an idle fantasy. So like most writers, I have a day job and my day job was causing me a bit of stress a while ago and I thought, I really need a new day job. And so I clearly set my imagination to working on this challenge and it came up with the idea that I could be a personal gift buyer. I thought this would be great fun, you know, if people just sort of let me loose with their credit card and I could stalk their nearest and dearest, their loved ones, and 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 they wouldn't have to do a thing, just on on the birthdays and Christmases for all of the people they loved, a perfect gift would arrive, beautifully wrapped, and everything would be taken care of. Of course, I never did become a professional gift buyer, but one of the perks of being a novelist is that you can make yourself into whatever you want to be, really. So I invented Marnie Fairchild, the professional gift buyer, and the story begins when she makes a most uncharacteristic error because she's usually very, very good at her job, but one of her very good clients has a 40th wedding anniversary to celebrate on the very same day that his lover turns 65. So two parcels, both alike in size and shape. Valerie, what could go wrong? (laughs) Yes, well, readers need to read the book to find out. So what gave you this idea? Because it's one thing to fantasise being a personal gift buyer, but the rest of the story, obviously, there's a lot more to it. So what gave you this idea? for the the novel. Um, So one of the things that gave me this idea of being a personal gift buyer to start with was observing those kinds of people who feel like money can solve any problem, people who think, if I just throw money at it, that's the solution. And I did actually see a man offer to pay his own wife $1,000 if she would change their toddler's nappy because he just said, I haven't got another nappy in me today. I will pay you $1,000 if you will change this nappy. And I thought, whoa, it's her $1,000 anyway. But it did open my eyes to the fact that um, that kind of way of thinking, that I can just outsource anything, including a toddler's nappy, uh, led to a lot of sort of dramatic possibilities. So the main um, character, Marnie, does this kind of outsourced work for other people. So she really outsources emotional labour, which is... um, you know, thinking about what people might want as gifts and actually buying those gifts and wrapping them beautifully. So one of the central moral dilemmas in the story is, is it wrong to get somebody else to buy gifts on your behalf? Because it is actually quite an intimate thing to do, to buy a gift for somebody. 
it can be quite a big part of the fabric of your relationship. So if you're getting someone else to do it for you, is that okay or not okay? So once I started to think along those lines, I could see how the plot would develop and what some of the principal conflicts would be along the way. Now, you mentioned that this started, this seed started when you were, um, you know, a little bit stressed or going through a few things with your day job. What is your day job? I teach writing at a university. So So I find it confounding that you can have a day job right under Danielle Ward, right under (laughs) Minnie Tark and right under Angelica Banks. So just for the benefit of uh, listeners, um, what does Danielle write, what does Minnie write and what does Angelica write? Okay, so Danielle writes um, more serious literary fiction and essays and uh, I write a column as myself for the local newspaper on sort of issues that face the place where I live, which is Tasmania. So often the works that I write as Danielle Wood are more likely to be set in this reality. Minnie Dark, on the other hand, writes what we might call commercial fiction, and therein lies a whole other conversation about whether we like that term or whether we don't like that term. But certainly it's meant to be a little bit more escapist. It's meant to be entertaining. It's meant to bring people joy. And um, I, I love doing that at least as much as I like writing the more literary fiction that I write as myself. Now, Angelica Banks is a whole other kettle of fish because she's actually two writers. So my dear friend, Heather Rose, uh, author of the Museum of Modern Love and Bruni, and she has a new memoir coming out soon. Uh, She is the other half of Angelica Banks. So we write children's fiction together under that name. Uh, And these days, my day job has shrunk to slightly more manageable proportions. So I only teach two days a week now and I write three days a week. Um, So that that kind of solved that problem a little bit, just just got it down into a manageable size. But it is important for people to know that most writers will have a day job of some sort. They will have some other thing that they do just because it can be very, very difficult to, um, you know, to buy shoes for your children when when you're a writer. (laughs) So when you are um, writing, when you because you started off writing the literary fiction, at what point did you think, oh, I have this story that's really quite different, that's, you know, contemporary women's, um, you know, in that kind of genre. When did you start thinking, I think I want to write in a completely different genre? Well, I think that that's probably something that goes way back to school, actually. Uh, I did every English subject I could possibly do when I was studying. And and a lot of the kinds of assignments that were set for us back in the late 80s were to do with writing different text types. So when I was studying, we were always encouraged to you know, write a newspaper article, now write a letter, now write a story from this perspective, now write a story from that perspective. So I think I was really trained in writing in multiple uh, ways. Then I became a journalist. And so I really had to learn to write. And it was while I was a journalist that I had an idea for Starcrossed, which was Minnie Dark's first novel. And I had the idea that it would be fun to write a novel about a journalist altering the horoscopes in order to pursue her true love. Um, But I sat on that idea for about 20 years before I got serious about doing it. And I wonder, Valerie, if I defaulted to writing literary fiction because I had studied literature at university and maybe I was even a bit of a literary snob and maybe it took me a little while to grow out of it and to realise that just in the same way that I like lots of different kinds of movies, um, I like lots of different kind of literature. And not only did I want to read lots of different kinds of literature, I also wanted to write lots of different kinds of stories. So your first uh, novel under Mini Dark was Starcrossed, as you mentioned. When you wrote that, did you already know at the outset you would be writing not as Danielle Wood? Yes, I did. And in fact, when I very first invented Mini Dark, I I actually hoped that I would be able to keep it a secret. I really hoped to have (laughs) um, a kind of Elena Ferrante style um, alias. I thought that maybe I could just create this new character where um, just the work spoke for itself and the work went out into the world and did its own thing. But 
um, a few different things happened. One is I'm just not that good at keeping secrets, whereas I gather <laughs> that, you know, the person behind Elena Ferrante was excellent at it for a very long time. Um, so there was that. But also in the world of publishing, as as you would well know, um, you know, there's a great expectation now that writers will be the face of their books. And so I, I've had to learn to do this strange um performance of being both Danielle Wood, Minnie Dark, and half of Angelica Banks. And I don't promise not to invent more personalities. Okay. So when we're often told by publishers, by people in the industry, that it's so important to build your author platform. Now, when you've already built your author platform as Danielle Wood, is it hard? What did you have to do to build an author platform for Minnie Dark? And then do people get confused? <laughs> I expect people possibly do get confused, but nothing's a secret. And if you if you hunt around on the internet, you'll find all the facts. I've written several articles about why you have a pseudonym, or, you know, why pseudonyms are useful. Um, I, I'm essentially a very playful writer and um, I really enjoy the business of having a few different identities. I feel like it gives me permission to to play and to do a few different sorts of things. Um, by having pseudonyms, I'm really clearly delineating for the writer what kind of experience you should expect. So if you pick up a book by Danielle Wood, it's likely to be set in the real world. It's likely to tackle um, some serious issues. I cannot promise you a happy ending. It might have a bit of a bite to it. If I'm writing as mini dark, you know you're going to get a more escapist um, story with a possibly a more generous heart and you're going to get a happy ending and it's going to hopefully give you that lovely catharsis at the end. That huh. So if you pick up a Danielle Wood book, you know what you're getting. If you pick up a mini dark book, you know what you're getting. And if I create a, yet another identity, that'll be, that'll be clear as well. You are right though. Um, there's a lot of time involved in managing writer platforms. So I now have a website for Danielle and a website for Minnie. I have a Facebook profile for both, but Instagram only Minnie. Um, Danielle doesn't have one, just Minnie. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about um, this particular book with Love from Wish and Co. When you started thinking of the idea, can you give us an idea of the gestation period between when you thought of the idea and when you started writing? Uh, your first draft and then how long that first draft took? Sure. So um, the first book I wrote as Mini Dark was um, Starcrust and that took probably 18 months to write, I think. Um, then The Lost Love Song was written in about a year and then I would say With Love from Wish & Co probably took about a year as well. I uh, have a bit of trouble um discerning what is the first draft from subsequent drafts because I write relatively slowly and I write relatively finished text straight off the bat. Now, I, you know, Heather and I work together when we're writing as Angelica Banks. We write entirely differently. She writes really fast and does a lot of revision. I write quite slowly, but what you get tends to be um, fairly finished by the end. So we end up with about the same amount of words, but it and it's taken us the same amount of time to get there just by a different path. So what often happens in my writing is that um, I will know the scenes that need to be written and I will write those big scenes and then I will sometimes be left with kind of bridges to fill in in my, in my draft. So I will need to glue one scene to another um, with those kind of little bridging scenes. So a, a first draft of mine might be might be when... Uh, all of the major scenes are written and then I'm left trying to work out how to how to join them. And do you know what's going to happen? Um, I usually have a rough idea. I don't know exactly. Uh, in all of the mini dark books, there are multiple plots. There are fewer multiple plots in With Love from Wish and Co than there are in the other books. I tend to know how the major plot is going to resolve, but the minor plots, they have a real habit of surprising me. And in With Love from Wish and Co, there are really two love stories operating in parallel. One is a story of two people falling in love for the first time. That's Marnie and Luke. But then there's the story of Suzanne and Brian who've been married for 40 years and their love story is a really important part of this um, book as well. And I really did not know for a long time when I was writing 
what would constitute a happy ending for them? Would a consti- would a happy ending be constituted by them reconciling after a big crisis, or would a happy ending for them be that they go their separate ways and and start new lives without each other? I wasn't sure which way that one was going to go. And so, with um, having a job <laughs> and multiple personalities, um, when you were writing this. Can you tell us about your writing routine? Like do you have set days that are writing, set days that are day job? Do you aim for a certain word count in a week or a day? How does it work? I would love to tell you that I had a really um, tidy writing routine and that I wrote a certain number of words every day. I would love to tell you that. I strive for that. Um, I do tend to make myself nice little Excel spreadsheets in which I plan to do exactly that. But I'm really just incredibly flawed human being who ends up with way too much to do right before a deadline. So... um, That's the that's the horrible unvarnished truth is that I strive really hard to have that kind of organised um, deadline, but I you know organised process, but I I don't. Some days are great days. Some days you sit down to write and you write really well. Other days you sit down to write and you don't feel like you have much in the tank, and you may even go backwards. You may even find yourself deleting things. But I have come to believe that the bad days are there for a reason and that you have to go through the bad days to get back to another good day, and that your brain is actually doing something during that um, horrible time where you feel like you can't achieve anything or move forward. And then when you have one of those brilliant days where you're just completely in flow and you write really well and you maybe write even 4,000, 5,000 words in a day, you think, I'm going to do it again tomorrow and the next day and look at me go, I can write 5,000 words a day and then the next day comes and you can't write anything. Um, so so it's, um, it, I do think the discipline is important so I don't want to give the impression that I think, um, you know, you have to wait for the muse to strike or whatever. I think you have to be in your chair with your fingers on the keyboard for when those days happen and you have to suffer through some bad days is what I've learned. Okay, so let's talk about the discipline then because um, do you have a routine or a ritual or anything where you have to be in your chair by you you are typically in your chair by a certain time um, and do you have uh, some kind of routine to get into or can you also just go right anywhere, right in a cafe, right in a bus, right in a, right, well, waiting for soccer practice? Uh, I (laughs) I have had periods of time where I've got up very, very early before everybody else in my family and started writing really early in the morning. And for a while that will work really well because that time feels illicit and stolen and, and great. But then you have to go to bed early at the other end and sometimes that's not possible. So then you find yourself burning the candle at both ends and before you know it you're just exhausted. So my writing has to fit in around Uh, all the things happening in my life, which includes the comings and goings of three children, two dogs, two cats, um, alpacas, chickens, bees. So my life is not simple and there are times where um, my, my disciplines and my routines have to go straight out the window because I have other people who need me or other things going on in my life. But an ideal writing day um, would involve me waking up probably about six dreaming for a little while, drifting through the shower, daydreaming in the shower and maybe arriving at my writing desk at about 8 o'clock and writing through to about 2 in the afternoon and then clocking off, feeling satisfied and going and doing um, everything else that needs to be done. Occasionally I get a day like that. <laughs> um, maybe one day in my future there are more days like that. But right now I'm I'm living and working in the, in the midst of a lot of chaos and um, I just have to do what I can do. So it sounds like on a day-to-day level, you are pulled in a million directions. You've also writing under different names. You have, this is your third book under Mini Dark. You had three books as um, Angelic Banks. So let's zoom out a bit (laughs) and talk about planning in terms of um, do you aim to have a mini dark book out every X 
months or Angelica book out every X, you know, what what's the planning look like in terms of frequency of what these three people <laughs> put out? Sure. sure. So um, really that's driven a great deal by the publishing industry and by the contracts that I have. So work that is contracted tends to nudge in ahead of work that is not contracted. So I have an audiobook coming out in early 2023 as Mini Dark, that's called Wild Apples. And I have another uh, Audible original contracted to Audible as well, plus another novel um, contracted. So right now, Mini's work is rising to the top because it's the one that people are asking for. So other things have had to take a back seat. So Heather and I, as Angelica Banks, um, at the moment, we're not really working together because her writing career is is blossoming and because Minnie Dark is very busy. So Angelica's a little on hold at the moment, but we, we do hope to get back to her at some point. Um, as Danielle Wood, I'm writing a novel that's about um, Lake Pedder, which is a, um, a beautiful lake that was in the southwest of Tasmania and it was flooded by a hydroelectric dam 50 years ago. And it was the environmental issue that really created the green movement. So that is a novel that's taken an enormous amount of research and it's inching along. Um, and I'd love to just have a clone so that I could work on my Lake Pedder novel at the same time as working on um, the mini dark novels. But I'm I'm just inching forward as best I can. And um, some days when I wake up, if I feel that today is a day when I really want to work on my Lake Pedder novel, I work on that. And if I wake up and another story is singing to me, then I will pick that one up. Again, it's not as organised as um, a- as I would like it to be. But work, I find that working on multiple projects at once is actually quite useful because sometimes if you hit a wall with one, you can still progress with the other. So um, it's it's maybe useful to be able to switch between modes and switch between personalities and switch between subjects. Um, so I, I do find that helpful. So based on what you were saying before, um, it sounds like you, you, you've you just trained yourself to switch pretty quickly and easily. Um, some authors need to put on a particular bit, bit of music or, or something like that to get into the space. Do you pretty much just open your laptop and go? <laughs> Um, pretty much, yes. Uh, but I suppose that I should preface that by saying, Valerie, that the last thing I think about when I go to bed at night and the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning is the book I'm writing. So I think that my brain does a lot of work while I'm asleep. I, I'm a great believer in um, the importance of dreaming and the importance of getting good night's sleep and the importance of catching a nap when you can because I think your brain does an enormous amount of work while it's not actually switched on. So always when I go to bed, I will ask my brain a question about something that I'm writing and very often by the time I wake up in the morning, it, an, an idea has popped up. So That's amazing. Yeah, it's um, there's some really good research that that demonstrates that this works. I read a really interesting book um, called Why We Sleep, and um, it's it really looks into the science of sleeping and napping. And it turns out that this thing I've been doing for years actually has um, really good basis in science. We actually learn a lot better if we learn something for the first time and then go to sleep our brain will file it better or process it better. And when we wake up, we're more able to, um, to replicate that task or demonstrate what we've learned. And I, th- I think that it works really well for creativity too. So if you ask yourself a question before you go to sleep, what does this character think about this? Or if this happened to this character, what would they do next? Ask your brain that right before you go to sleep and see what your brain tells you in the morning. Wow. Well, I'm not even joking, but last night I dreamt of Zac Efron, so I'm not sure what that quite means for me. (laughs) Let's talk about characterization because you've got characters in in this, well, in all of your novels, obviously. Um, How do you get to know them? Do you know them quite well before you start writing or do you discover them as you're writing the story? I think your main I, characters, obviously. I think they are downloaded to me 
to a certain degree of finishedness. And then it's my job to color them in a little bit more. So I think I get, I don't know, I'm going to guess two thirds of them downloaded. And then I need to finish the last third. What do you mean by downloaded? (laughs) (laughs) They arrive. Um, I guess just like people that you meet. It might be just like people that you meet. When you meet somebody and you spend a bit of time with them, maybe you know them to to kind of two-thirds level and then as you get to know them further, you're filling in that extra third. So I think characters um, appear and present themselves and I think they come as a bit of a package deal with with batteries included and then, um, yeah, I, I need to do the finishing. That's how it feels. Maybe that sounds a bit strange, but that's how it feels to me. I love meeting new characters. I love inventing new characters. Someone asked me the other day if my characters talk to me, Mm. and I had to really think about that. And what I came up with, the answer that popped out was, I don't think I exist for them. So I think they talk to each other while I'm watching and listening but I don't think that they care about me at all. I don't think I matter to them one bit. I think I'm the fly on the wall. I think they don't even see me. Do you so, ever invent a character that you obviously that you you know want to be in your novel and that you like, and it's downloaded at two thirds, and as you uncover the other third, you realize you don't like them. I think that one of the things I put a lot of effort into, particularly with writing mini dark books, and this is a bit different with writing um, more literary fiction as Danielle Wood, but writing as mini dark, um, I try to write every character incredibly generously. So in With Love from Wish and Co, for example, you know, there's a, there's a character in that novel that we might see as the other woman, but I didn't want to throw her under the bus. I wanted... Um, to really explore her character and her depths and her, um, I wanted her to have dignity and grace in in her position in the novel. There's the main, one of the main characters, Brian, who, who has the wife and the mistress. I also didn't want to throw him under the bus. I wanted to understand him. So I think that particularly in mini dark books, there isn't anyone I don't like. I think I love them all and I think that loving them all might actually be one of the secrets to how those books get written is trying to understand everybody because nobody uh, sees themselves as the villain, do they? Everybody is just being the hero of their own lives. So I need to understand every character in the way they understand themselves, which is as the hero or heroine of their own life. Now, you've said before something, so correct me if I'm wrong, something along the lines of having these different names is like having different personalities to be able to write that particular kind of book. So if I was to say what would, um, what's your favourite movie, Mini Dark, or what's your favourite, <laughs> um, and then what's your favourite movie, Danielle Wood, what would you say? Oh, I think Mini Dark could probably quite easily tell you that her favourite movie is Amelie, the French movie. Um, oh, those gnomes, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Quirky, whimsical, uh, and that kind of um, that kind of primary colour palette. Yeah. So yeah. I think that as mini dark, I feel like I write using primary colours. You know, red, blue, green, aqua, you know, yellow, orange. You know, bright colours. That's the world and the palette that I'm using when I write in that way. When I write as Danielle Wood, I'm writing in a much more kind of southern Tasmanian palette of you know, it's sort of olive green that comes with eucalypts and, you know, that kind of soft slate blue and it's much, much more muted palette. So there's something a bit a bit of synesthesia in there, which is that um, I'm relating the, the colours to sort of the, the tone or the feel of the book. But, again, it's kind of the best way I can describe it. I'm trying to think of a film um, that that does that so that you could uh, see the difference. The um, Hunter. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, With I, Willem Dafoe. There's, well, there's, yes. Well, there's actually a, a a movie that other people might not know, but actually probably captures it beautifully. It's called The Tale of Ruby Rose, and uh, it was filmed in the Tasmanian Highlands and um, features that incredible, incredible Tasmanian landscape. So that's a real favourite of of mine, as Danielle Wood. And you know, it's got that little, still got whimsy in it, um, but it, a real tickle of darkness too. What is uh, Mini Dark's go-to drink and what is Danielle Wood's? Um, 
Okay, I think that uh, Mini Dark would have a margarita <laughs> and uh, Danielle, to be perfectly truthful, would have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> and what is Minnie's idea of a fun night out and what is Danielle's? Um, well, again, Minnie's, you know, a little bit more of a party animal than Danielle. Danielle's been a little bit more sedate. So I think, you know, Minnie would definitely like to go out with friends and, um, you know, possibly um, possibly go to a play or go to a movie and then go somewhere nice afterwards for something decadent for dessert. That would be Minnie's style. Um, Danielle might not even go out at all. She might just really, really love staying at home on the couch in her Ugg boots um, with that cup of tea and her knitting. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, we know <laughs> that Danielle lives in Hobart, Tasmania. Where does Minnie live? Well, Minnie possibly lives in a place called Alexandria Park, which is where two of um, Minnie Dark's novels are set. So Starcrossed and then again with Love from Wish and Co are set in this fictional suburb in a fictional Australian city, which I think might be the unholy love child of Perth, Melbourne and Hobart, which are three cities I, <laughs> I really love. Uh, I've lived a little while in Perth and I've lived most of my life in Hobart and I visit Melbourne quite a lot. So they're three cities that I you know, have strong feelings about and I probably borrowed a little bit from each of them to create Alexandria Park. It's a place that's just a little bit shinier than reality. You know, things are just a little bit prettier, things are just a little bit smoother, a little bit easier. Um, it's a world that you want to live in. It's it's a little bit escapist. So I think Mini Dark probably lives there. Now, the rom-com, I think, is having quite a moment at the moment. Why do you think that is? I think we desperately need escapism. And, um, you know, one of the one of the conversations that I often find myself having is that one about, um, you, you know, the relative value of literary fiction and commercial fiction. And people ask me whether I find it more satisfying to write literary fiction or commercial fiction. And the, the honest answer is that both are satisfying. I just like making things. Um, it just depends what I'm making. But I do find that right now I get a lot of pleasure from being able to provide people with happiness and joy and escapism and pleasure. And I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of about that. I don't think that we all need to be staring into the abyss every day and taking on serious issues every day. Mm. Um, I think it's important that we take on serious issues sometimes and that we, um, you know, we consider the bigger questions sometimes, but it's also important that we don't fall into that abyss. And so commercial fiction might be one of the bridges that we use to cross it. And, um, you know, with Love from Wish and Co, while it is uh, a rom-com, it also does ask some serious questions about some of the things that are most integral to us as human beings, about relationships, about love. I mean, that kind of stuff is incredibly important to everyone, really. Now, I, I love a good rom-com and so do many of our listeners and I know that a lot of them are interested, uh, love reading them and, and aspire to write them. So let's end with what are your top three tips for people who want to write a great rom-com? Okay. I think that one of the things would be something that we've, we've talked about, which is to remember that every character in, the, in your story considers themselves to be the hero or the heroine of their own story. And so try to see every character as um, lovable and having a reason to do the things that they do. Give them the dignity of their own story, even if they are a minor character in your story. Try to really uh, understand them. I think um, another tip might be, to really think about what you really want and value when it comes to love yourself, like what actually really turns you on in terms of love and romance. It might not be what you think it is. It might not be the cliched things that are thrown at us. It might not be the flowers and the chocolates and, the, you know, the fancy night out. It might be actually the fact that Somebody, somebody you really love never, ever, ever lets you run out of milk or the petrol in your car run out, you know. So 
try to think about what actually really rocks your boat. I don't know what it might be for for you, but if you can invest your own desires and your own truth about love in in your rom-com, you're probably going to write really uh, authentically and lovingly. And I think probably the third one is just a a, a generic um, writing hint, which I would say to all of my students, and that is try to remember that talking about writing isn't writing and planning to write isn't writing and complaining about how hard writing is isn't writing. And very sadly for me, making beautiful colour-coded Excel spreadsheets in which I plan to write 2,000 words a day on this subject or that subject or this project or that project, very, very sadly that isn't writing either. The only thing that actually is writing is writing. And there are things inside you that will never come out until you've got your fingers on the keyboards or until you've got the pen in your hand. So you can you can daydream and think but there's more inside you that won't come out until you're actually in the act of writing. So whatever way you need to trick yourself to get there, just make sure you get there. That's absolutely brilliant advice. And on that note, congratulations on With Love from Wish & Co. So excited for you and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your lovely questions, Valerie. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're a fan of romantic fiction and would love to write stories in this hugely popular market, our self-paced course in romance writing will be your perfect match. Romance is the biggest selling genre in fiction, and many may think it's easy to write. But a good romance novel is much more than a love story. In fact, more than any other genre, there are crucial structural beats your story must hit to truly captivate your readers and have them coming back for more. This online course is your ultimate guide to writing romance novels that sell. Discover everything you need to know from the key tropes, conventions and reader expectations to the variety of subgenres and publishing options available. You'll cover how to craft a tightly structured story, one that's filled with believable characters and intimacy, as well as the right level of heat for your book category. Most importantly, you'll learn the techniques to ensure a satisfying climax every time. And because this is one of our online self-paced courses, you'll enjoy instant access and can learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentercomau slash romance. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Minnie Dark and maybe you might be a bit inspired yourself to write your own romance novel. But now let's move on to the new segment that I promised to you, My Big Break, where a relatively new author outlines how they got their big break. This episode, we have Carla Fitzgerald. Carla Fitzgerald is a writer, a recovered lawyer and mum of three from Sydney. Her first book was a picture book, Keeping Up with the Dash Hounds. And her second is a middle grade novel called How to Be Prime Minister and Survive Grade 5. She's done many courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and now she talks to us about her big breaks. Thank you so much for joining me today, Carla. Thank you for having me on, Valerie. Congratulations on your latest book. This is so exciting. How to Be Prime Minister and Survive Grade 5. I just love the idea of this. Tell us what it's about. Okay, so How to Be Prime Minister and Survive Grade 5 is the story of 11-year-old Harper and what happens when her dad, who happens to be the Prime Minister, goes missing and she tells no one and decides to take his place. So it's a story about power and families and what you'd do if you could change the world because who doesn't want to do that sometimes? Brilliant. I love it. Now, this is actually your second book. So this is middle grade, right? But your previous book was a picture book, Keeping Up with the Dashens. Yes. (laughs) Um, And you have done so many of our courses at the Australian Writers' Centre, all of the children's writing ones, but also creative writing. Tell us because you're a lawyer usually. Yes, it's <laughs> in us, a past life. <laughs> yes, why you wanted to write and then now you've got two book, 
two books published. Tell us about your break for each of them because I think you had two different, very different opportunities. I had taken maternity leave um, after my third child and um, I'm not sure if it was sleep deprivation or, or some other sort of um, insanity, but I had I started um, writing again. Um, so it was mostly short stories in my head, um, usually while I was breastfeeding at 3 a.m. Um, and then I, I started snatching moments of time to write and and I started entering competitions. I remember the, the very first competition I entered was a 30-word short story competition run by the Australian Writers' Centre, um, and I was long-listed in that. So that was hugely exciting, and um, I think that spurred me on to, to want to learn more about writing. And, I mean, I had done, I had studied English literature at university, but what I really wanted to know was um the practical side of things. I didn't have a lot of time. I just wanted to do some short courses and uh, understand more about writing and and publishing as well. So that's why I, I started all the courses. So you did a whole heap of courses, a lot of the children's writing courses, creative writing, but then you went a step further. You actually kept on writing and you wrote your book and you pitched it to publishers. Tell us about the first one, Keeping Up With The Dashens, uh, how you got that book deal and then how to be Prime Minister. Yes, absolutely. So um, I had been attending conferences and book launches and festivals and I just gradually got more and more keen on the idea of publishing um, my own book or having having it published. So I, I also was able to identify which publishers I thought would would suit my style. So I, I quickly realised that I I liked writing sort of fun, silly, quirky books. And that's why I identified Larrikin House, the publisher um, of Keeping Up With The Dash Hounds. And they, fortunately, they had an assessment service where you could have, you could submit your manuscript and they would provide written feedback to you. So I thought, well, I can skip the slush pile. And the worst that can happen is that I get some feedback that I can use for this manuscript. But fortunately, James from Larrikin um, really liked the story. It wasn't an instant yes from him. We worked on it for a couple of months. Mary, um, the art director at Larrikin House, had some thoughts about how it could be presented and, you know, those wonderful people who are who are visual thinkers and she was able to bring that um, to the story. She brought the Kardashian flair <laughs> to it. Emily Smith, another author, worked with me on it. So it wasn't until a couple of months later that I was offered the publishing contract, um, but that was obviously hugely thrilling and exciting. Can you remember when you found out? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, it was it was an email in the end and I just remember, yeah, jumping up in the air and, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just so exciting. And I still I still feel like I didn't quite believe it until I I got the book in my hand. I still thought this is this could be part of an elaborate prank um, <laughs> until I actually got the, got the book. Um, so, That's crazy. Yeah. So then yeah. How to Be Prime Minister is with a different publisher because it is a, it's not a picture book, it's middle grade, it's a different age group. So how did that happen? Yes, so perhaps I was feeling uh, particularly confident, but that very same month in November 2020, um, I pitched that idea to Claire Hume at UQP as part of an ASA literary speed dating event. It was online, obviously, because it was 2020. I feel terrible. 2020 was such a terrible year for so many people. But for me, it was a bit of a breakthrough year. So I pitched this idea to Claire and she asked for the first five chapters, which I sent soon after. And then pretty soon after that, she asked for the whole manuscript and that that was quite that was quite quick in the end because I think I had the contract for that only a week or two later. And I do remember getting the email for that because it was about five o'clock. I was cooking dinner for my kids, and I got the ping on my phone, and it was the email. And I just I just screamed and started dancing. My kids joined in. They didn't know what they were excited about or what we were all dancing for, but they're always up for a bit of a dance. And um, 
yeah, it was just the most brilliant feeling. And um, How yeah. wonderful. I mean, but also good on you for putting yourself out there, actually going to the Australian Society of Authors speed dating event for actually signing up and, and having the guts to, to pitch. So good on you for doing that. Now, right. what did you get out of the courses that you did? Well, so much. I mean, with creative writing stage one, I just... I learned all these things that I didn't know existed. So I think good writers make writing look easy, but there's all this stuff, you know, about point of view and the three-act structure and narrative tension. So those, just getting that foundation is still still so valuable. I mean, I still go and look at my notes and make sure that I am ticking those boxes. Um, and when I realised I wanted to write for children, the the writing for children courses were were also so valuable because there's this, a whole lot of tools you need for that particular area. So I still remember one of the exercises was um, when you ha- we got down on our knees to actually see the room from a child's perspective and see, oh, actually, they might see things or feel things or experience things that are quite different to adults. And I still use that in my writing because I'm not particularly tall, but um, I am taller <laughs> than most children. And so um, I think there are things like that, that that have stayed with me. Brilliant. Now, you've got two books under your belt, and it sounds like you're really keen to carve out a career as a children's author. Is that the Grandmaster plan? That's the plan, yes. Um, So I've been enjoying the promotional side of things the last couple of months, but I really am looking forward to knuckling down and, and getting right, getting writing again. Um, So I do have lots picture book manuscripts. I've got another middle grade manuscript that's nearly finished and I have a shiny new idea which I haven't told my publisher about because I'm sure she just wants me to finish the other middle grade one. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to see more from you. Thank you so much for your time today, Carla. Thanks for having me on, Valerie. So do let me know what you think of this new segment, whether it's useful, whether you find it interesting. Let me know in the podcast Facebook group. In the meantime, we've come to the end of this bonus episode. Feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm also over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Do you want to write for children? Would you like to create characters and stories that kids will love? Our course in writing children's novels is the perfect way to start your journey towards becoming a children's author. This course focuses on writing for middle grade, that's 8 to 13 year olds. You'll discover how to find your voice, understand the market, take your characters and your readers on epic adventures and create a blueprint for succeeding as a writer. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning online with your very own tutor, providing direct feedback on your writing. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children. That's writerscentre.com.au slash children.